Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 15th Sunday after Trinity, September 25th, 2022, was preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. can be found on page 1626 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they, come also, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sins in our life where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're about a month away from Reformation Sunday. And as such, it's a good time to take the opportunity provided to us by our gospel lesson this morning to review one of the core tenets of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, the word alone. But what does it mean when we confess that? The word alone is all we need for life and salvation. As far as salvation is concerned, the Reformers delivered to us that Scripture is crystal clear to deliver God's plan of salvation to us. While the Bible at points may be obscure or difficult to understand, when it comes to salvation, the gospel message shines through with clarity. And as far as the life of a Christian is concerned, the Word of God is also sufficient for that. It is the authority over our lives, It norms all of our doctrinal statements, which we confess, and it gives us boundaries to live within God's will as we love our neighbors. 
And so with this in mind, we'll turn our eyes back to Luke 16 this morning and see that the sufficiency of Scripture is on full display as Jesus relates to us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And so first, Jesus teaches the sufficiency of Scripture to prescribe practical morality. Now, Jesus introduces the two main characters of his teaching this morning. And for reasons not in the text, I'm not going to refer to today as either a parable or as Jesus recounting reality. There's no freedom in the text to do either. Jesus doesn't call it a parable, but he also doesn't say this is exactly what happened in history. And so we're just going to take his teaching at face value. And the two main people Jesus teaches about are a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Now, at this point, it would be entirely fair to ask what any of this has to do with the sufficiency of Scripture to teach practical morality. And before we jump into the beginning of Jesus' teaching, we need to look for a clue right in the middle. Once the rich man and Lazarus have died, we enter into a scene that takes place in eternity. It is at this point that Jesus gives us a clue to the opening of his teaching. As the rich man is being tormented, he sees, father, he sees Abraham, and he calls him Father Abraham. And, and, and I suspected for a moment that maybe having Father Abraham stuck in his head for all eternity might be part of his torment, but in this case, he just calls him Father Abraham. What that means is we know that this rich man is a Jew. And that helps us immensely in understanding why Jesus characterizes the rich man and Lazarus in the way that he does. The rich man isn't the antagonist in this account because he's rich. Being rich in and of itself isn't sinful. But what you do with that God-given wealth is in fact a matter of morality. The rich man lives exactly like the prodigal son once he takes his inheritance and goes off to a far land. Except the rich man is so rich he can't even squander his wealth. He feasts sumptuously day after day after day and there's still more left over. It never runs out. And so he continues to spend his wealth selfishly and lavishly. And in the process of all this, the rich man takes no notice of Lazarus, even though Lazarus was placed at his gate in hopes that either he or his wealthy friends would give him something from their daily feasting. But what is especially sinister about the rich man today is that once he gets into eternity, he reveals that he knows Lazarus's name. It's not that the rich man didn't know about Lazarus and would have been generous if he had known. It's that the rich man not only knew about Lazarus, he knew who Lazarus was. And he still did nothing. The rich man completely ignores the reality that everything he possesses comes from the gracious hand of God the Father, 
and instead he lives his life entirely to satisfy his own interests. And all this is completely contrary to what the Word of God teaches us about moral living. We are, by God's command, supposed to love our neighbor. But beyond that, we are, by God's command, supposed to sacrificially love our neighbor. We are especially supposed to be concerned about our neighbors who are the most vulnerable in society. And in all this, God calls us not only to generosity and mercy, but he calls us to faith in him. God desires us to recognize that even as we give away our wealth to serve those who are needy, he will continue to provide for us. In short, God gives to us so that we give it away to others. And then he will continue to give. But the Bible never stops at morality. Even though it's practical, even though it's direct, and even though in this case it's clear, the word has more to say. And so Jesus continues to teach about the sufficiency of Scripture. And he moves on to tell about the sufficiency of Scripture to communicate the reality of eternity. Whereas we had to do some detective work in Jesus' teaching to see how Scripture prescribes practical morality, in the case of eternity, Jesus' teaching right here and right now does the work of God's Word. Jesus teaches very clearly about eternity. And in doing so, Jesus also teaches us something about Lazarus and the rich man. First, with the rich man, we learn both the reality of hell and why hell is so terrible. Hell, or Hades as it's referred to in this case, is a place of torment. It's a place of constant and continual suffering. And it's a place reserved for unrepentant sinners. We catch just a brief glimpse of this in the rich man's behavior. We see his unrepentance on display so that even in eternity, he begs Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Even in eternity, the rich man sees Lazarus as a lesser being who can be exploited for his own selfish intent. Even in eternity, in the mind of the rich man, Lazarus will be nothing more than a servant. The rich man doesn't even claim he's in hell unjustly. He just wants to be pampered while he's there. The unrepentance of the rich man gives us also an important truth about Lazarus as he's comforted by Abraham in eternity. Just like the rich man isn't in hell simply because he's rich, Lazarus isn't in heaven simply because he's poor and destitute. Poverty doesn't automatically save someone. Lazarus is in heaven because he's a believer, just as the rich man is in hell because he's unrepentant. And what we see in Jesus' teaching is that Lazarus is in eternity is receiving the comfort of the gospel. Jesus himself has already taught this in Luke's gospel. 
Jesus taught, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. And what we see is that Lazarus' destitute physical condition was representative of Lazarus' own acknowledgement of his spiritual condition. Lazarus was hungry because he was poor, but he was spiritually hungry because he was a sinner. Lazarus wept because of his sin, but he spiritually wept in his repentance. And now he was being fed. He was being comforted. He received the joy of the gospel. Lazarus suffered from the effects of his own sin, but he also suffered from the consequences of others' sin and selfishness. And scripture for us today, as it was for Lazarus during Jesus' time, delivers the glorious reality of the gospel's outcome. Jesus has completed his work of redemption, and for those who repent, an eternity awaits us that makes this temporal life pale in comparison. That contrast is especially stark in Lazarus' life. Not only was he poor, not only was he destitute, maybe even homeless, but in his illness and in his poverty, even the dogs, the unclean dogs, licked the sores that opened on his body. All of that was entirely reversed for Lazarus in eternity as he received continually and constantly the joy of Jesus' death and resurrection in his place. And so finally then, and ultimately, what Jesus' teaching is about is the sufficiency of Scripture to deliver salvation. In his exchange with Abraham, the rich man seems to have had at least a little bit of a change of heart and is able to at least momentarily, as far as eternity is concerned, to think about others other than himself. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers as a witness of the reality of eternity and the consequences of sin and unrepentance. Now, the word warn, as we have it at least in my version, the ESV, uh, works much better if it's translated literally, and in this case it would be witness. Lazarus, having been in eternity, would come to the rich man's brothers as a witness of the effects of eternity, as a witness of the reality of heaven and hell. But Abraham tells the rich man something entirely important for us to grasp this morning. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. To which the rich man protests, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham again said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so in Jesus' teaching about eternity, there are two applications for us this morning. First, it is useless to wait for 
bargain for or demand signs when it comes to our eternal destinies. Jesus repeatedly scolded the Jews of his time for this precise attitude. People who need a sign to validate their faith are just looking for the next hit before they let themselves again fall into unrepentance and unbelief once their bellies or their minds are satisfied. During Jesus' time, Jesus himself would become the ultimate sign, the literal man raised from the dead whom the rich man asked for. And many still did not believe. Many still hardened their heart. Why? Because they did not see Jesus as a part of God's plan for salvation. Because they did not, and then they would not hear the word of God. Now before we move on to the second example, I want to illustrate, while that extreme may not apply to any one of us, it is revealed in our lives just under the surface. How many times in a desperate situation have you refused to have faith in God and instead immediately tried to bargain with him? How many times have you said in your mind or in your prayers, Lord, if you would just do this one thing for me, then I'll believe. Then I will be really committed. Dear saints, the word of God is sufficient. If you do not believe that God can and will provide for you in your needs, you will not believe. This is what Jesus teaches. And this is the second application. The word contains everything you need for life and salvation right now. You, just like the rich man, just like Lazarus, just like the disciples, and just like the Pharisees who heard Jesus the first time he spoke these words, you have Moses and the prophets. You have the Bible. You have the New Testament, which claim, contains not only the historical account of Jesus' death and resurrection, but also explains time and time again why it is so important for you. And with the word of God, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes to you and proclaims the word and applies it to your life and to your heart so that you will confess your sins, you will repent of your sins, and you will believe that God forgives you and receives you as his child because this is exactly what the word says. And so the call and the invitation and the command for you today is just as it is every Sunday and in fact just as it is every day. The call is for you to hear and to repent and to believe and then from there to amend your ways so that you love your neighbor. So that you love not only the neighbors that are easy to love, that you love not only the neighbors that will join you in feasting, but that you love the neighbors you are prone to ignore or reject or disregard. And that you love them in such a way 
that you confess with your actions you believe that God is good. That he has and that he does and that he will continue to provide for you. Because the evidence of God's goodness is the man who rose from the dead. The man who stood in your place and received the punishment you deserved for your sins. The man who died for you and forgives you all your sins. The man who is God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.